Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. The scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Amen. Thanks. Happy Mother's Day, love. Um, And sort of speaking of Mother's Day, um, it's always a complicated matter in churches, right? Um, Because for some of us, we have these brilliant relationships with our moms, or we are in this space where... Uh, our moms were uh, so so caring, so giving, and for others of us, maybe our experience with our mother was different. For some of us, we know the joy uh, the, uh, of being able to have kids, and for some of you, you're aching because you cannot. For some of you today, your mom is not here, and there is this longing in you to see her again. For others of you, maybe you're single and you're, you're in a space in your life where you'd say, I'd love to be a mom, but I can't even meet a guy who can keep his stuff together. And so, friends, what we want to do this morning as we start our time is to just say, Lord, what are you doing in this space? And, and we want to use a simple practice. Uh, it's called the examine. It was used by a guy named Ignatius of Loyola. And, and he would divide his day into two segments desolations, those things that brought him death, those things that felt like pain and lament. And he would just review his day and say, what, what brought that sense of brokenness to my front door, to, to the place where I ache the most? What brought that into my soul this morning? And so for you, if Mother's Day is a place of desolation, I'm just going to give you a moment. And I just want to acknowledge that God himself is here. He's here in your pain. He's drawing close to you. So I just want to give a moment of silence here as a community, as we're all here together. If you're experiencing Mother's Day as something as a bit, um, shall we say, conflicted, can I just say that's okay? Just bring that before the Lord. So I'm going to give you just a moment here. Lord, you see us, you hear us in our pain, you hear us crying out to you. You are the God who hears those who cry out. So we just put that before you, not really knowing what to do with it. For others of us this morning, Mother's Day is a time of rejoicing. And, and, you know, as people who follow Jesus, a crucified Messiah, he is the one who goes to his grave suffering, unspeakable suffering. 
And so we sort of sit here on this Friday side, but then we have this Sunday side to us where Jesus, by going down to death, conquers death. He gets up out of the grave, resurrected to a new life. And so just as we are people of the cross, we are people who join in the suffering and the sorrow of our world, so also we are a people of great joy. That in pain and in loss, we see that God is doing something beyond what we could ask or imagine. And so some of us today, we come rejoicing. We come grateful for what God is doing in our lives, and that's okay too. And so whatever you have to be grateful for, we just want to bring that before the Lord. I'm going to give you a little bit of space to do that this morning. Just say, thank you, God. Whether you're rejoicing because it's Mother's Day and you feel loved. Whether you're rejoicing because it's literally like pouring rain. I don't know what kind of dark, twisted person you are, but maybe you enjoy that kind of thing. Wherever you are, what do you have to be grateful for? You just bring that before the Lord this morning. I'll give you a space here. Amen. Amen. God is with us in our desolation. He's with us in our rejoicing and our consolation. And so we just bring that before him, just that simple practice of saying, God, you're with me in my brokenness. You're doing something with it, but you're with me in my rejoicing. And so as we kind of enter into this uh, third week in our series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, we've been examining these words of Jesus because we think that these words of Jesus give us the very heart of God, the very heart for what he's wanting to do in our midst. And last week we focused on Jesus praying. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we talked about what does it mean for God to be our Father? What does it mean for Jesus to invite us to address him as such? And we asked the question, what does it mean to hallow God's name? And so this week we want to keep going. The next line in that prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is that Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. What Jesus is saying is that some way, the way that it is in heaven, is the way that it should be on earth. And so we run into a question immediately. What do we do with this whole heaven thing? Now, I have to tell you, when I was growing up, I remember very clearly being a part of different churches. We moved a lot. I think I moved like 20 times before I was 15 years old. We lived all over the South, glorious places like Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee. If you look at the bottom five states for school systems in the United States, you will see states like Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee, So I stand before you today as a product of the worst schools in the United States. It's somewhat true. The reality is, moving in all these different spaces, I remember going to church, but I remember very clearly the message that I sort of heard. I don't think it was the message that was being conveyed, but the way that I took it in was that Jesus and Christianity and being religious seemed a lot about the next life. It seemed a lot focused on what it meant, what I had to do to go to heaven. And I have to say, as a young man, 
You know, when you're talking about heaven and something uh, that is that down the road, you know, we all know the reality that we are going to die. But to a 13-year-old boy or to a 15-year-old boy, the reality is none of us are thinking that's going to happen tomorrow, right? And so for me, this idea of heaven seems so far off. It seemed like something so far in the distance. So I, I really had the question, if if this is what this religion or this, this teaching is all about, then what's the point of it for my life right now? It seems very concerned with the future, and my, my thinking was, I'll address that when I get there. You know, I'll have some fun, I'll do whatever I want, and then I'll come figure out what it means to follow God in my life. And so heaven for me was almost a barrier to seeing what Jesus was inviting me into. But then I remember my junior year of high school, I, re- I met two um, people in, in my school, went to a large high school in Oklahoma, who were following Jesus, who were following him with their lives right then and there. They lived in such a way that it seemed like God was present in their lives. They thought that God was doing something right there in their midst, and that caused me to reevaluate Maybe, maybe what I had learned, maybe what I had intuited about what was being taught about Jesus and the kingdom of God, maybe all that stuff had to be um, brought uh, to my attention again, because as I'm seeing these guys, I'm saying, they live like this is real and present right now. And that, for me, changed everything. When I saw that faith could be something that was not in the future, but was lived out here in the present, I began to see that God was coming to me right in the middle of my everyday life. And so friends, for you today, some of you may be sitting here and you think about heaven and you know, if I were to ask you to imagine it, you would imagine something involving clouds. You would imagine and so, you know, you can go ahead and do this now. Just imagine that you are in heaven. What do you look like? Are you young? Are you old? Do you look like you do CrossFit? Like when we picture heaven, everybody looks pretty good, right? We're the the best, beautiful, idealized version of ourselves. But Jesus is saying, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what I want to do today is to help you to see That perhaps that wall that you've built up, whether it's a wall of time, whether it's a wall because you just can't see heaven in your midst, if you could begin to see that God is wanting to move and to work right within the confines of your life right now. If we could break down that wall between the secular and the sacred, if we could see that it's all holy space, then we would see what it means for heaven to come to earth. And so uh, what I want to do is just tell the story that the Bible is trying to get us to see. And so we'll start somewhat at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, God has created the world. He's formed the man and the woman out. It says out of the dust of the ground. And then it says that he breathes upon him, that he draws near, that he whispers his life into their being. And then we get these really weird details. And you'll hear me say this if you're around here a lot. 
that, that these narrators, these authors of Scripture, did not waste paper because paper was a valuable resource. They didn't waste space. So when you see a random detail when you're reading the Bible, you know, sometimes it causes our eyes to glaze over. We do that internet reading where we just skip to the next paragraph, right? Any of you guys, when you read on your phone, you realize, like, I've read three sentences of this eight-paragraph article. We do that thing, but what I want to encourage you to do is to pause. Because God is revealing beautiful things right in the midst of the details, and I want to illustrate this for you today. So in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it says that a river flows out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first river is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows out of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now you could ask yourself a very profound question, why on earth is that in the Bible? And really, if you think that the Bible is a list of rules, these kinds of details begin to say, maybe there's something else going on here. So we have a a couple things going on. We have a list of rivers. Now, those of you guys who were all-stars at middle school geography, you know the Tigris and the Euphrates, right? Fertile Crescent? Come on. No? Okay. Well, very important, right? Mesopotamian society. These rivers are um, a part of the cradle of civilization. Now, there's a couple rivers there that we have no idea where they are, this Pishon and the Havilah. But God is locating his creation right in the midst of our world. And then the author of this text offers some more details. The name of the first is Pishon, it says in verse 11, it is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Now, gold, even in our society, even in our culture, carries great value. It carries this immense uh, importance, and it, it has all these uses that we find. But why in Genesis 2, as God is creating the world, as God is describing the kind of world that he has made, why is this detail in there? Gold is something that has to be searched for. It is something that has to be unearthed. God is saying in the midst of the kind of world that he has made, perhaps he is inviting us to explore. Perhaps he is inviting us to see that in his creation, it's not all taken at face value, that the garden that God has planted is not just a static environment, that God has put a man and a woman there in order that they might explore his creation. Gold is in and of itself, it's an amazing conductor of electricity. But you wouldn't know that unless you were to experiment with it. Perhaps God, in the midst of his good world, is saying, you can explore, you can experiment, you can pursue in the midst of my creation. He's going to put boundaries on it. In a couple sentences, he'll say, you can eat from any tree in the garden, just don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God says, play, explore, look around. 
the text says that there is gold there. And then it goes on. It says bdellium and onyx stone are there. We don't really know what bdellium is. <laughs> but onyx is a stone that was used for artistry. It was a stone that was used to carve uh, different uh, elements into uh, items for worship. And so perhaps God is saying in the midst of all this, what, what it begins to look like in God's good world is he's designed all of this. Is that there are things that are there that are meant to be beautified, that are meant to be made into instruments of worship, that are meant to be made simply for artistic purposes. You see, these details may seem ancillary. They may seem like, why, why would we put that in there? But the question becomes, what if this is exactly the kind of world that God is inviting us into? Now, there's some important things that we have to see in the midst of this text. Genesis 2 comes before Genesis 3. I'm very good at math. Genesis 3, in the story and the narrative of Scripture, is when all of this falls apart. All of this breaks apart. But in Genesis 2, the world in, in and of itself is the way that God has intended it. The world is the way that God shaped it. And it says in Genesis 2 that the Lord God put the man in the garden to tend it. It says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to till it and to keep it. The work that the, that the Lord God gave the man to do, and eventually the woman, and just a couple chapters later, this work is not a product of the curse that comes in Genesis 3. It is not a product of things breaking apart. Let me tell you something, friends. Your work, the things that you do, may be pointing to a reality, a beauty of God's good world. And when God says there is gold and there is onyx there and says explore, experiment, even play, maybe God is saying that all of the stuff that you spend your time doing, that the stuff you spend in time with in relationship to people, the stuff that just gives you joy, the stuff that you just naturally do, Maybe it's not all worthless. Maybe it's not all some diff, uh, ancillary part of your life. Maybe it has everything to do with what God is doing in the world and what God is doing through you. Because, friends, for too long, churches have made it seem like the action only takes place here. That as you gather on a Sunday morning, you're doing the thing, the holy thing, that you are encountering heaven. But when you walk out of these doors, what is happening? And what I want to do today is just encourage you. Think about the things that you love. Think about the things that bring you joy. Think about the people that bring you joy, spending time with them. Because what I think is that if you would examine the story that the scriptures are telling, you would see that Jesus is saying that the kingdom comes in ways that are not far removed from those little moments, the way you spend your time. For some of you, your work life, your vocation revolves around business. 
It, it revolves around a fair and just exchange of goods and services. In Genesis 2, the narrator tells us that there are trees there that are just good for food. They're good for taking care of our neighbors. They're good to, to make sure that we all have enough. And, you know, business at its heart is kind of that. For others of you, you can look at the junk drawer, you see this mess of chaos, and you can bring order to that chaos. You are master of the chaos, right? And it's interesting in Genesis chapter 2 that God invites the man. He says, here, here's a job for you to do. Tend the garden. And then eventually he invites him to name the animals. God is inviting us into stewarding and tending his good world. Now the question becomes, what does all of this have to do with heaven? Well, if, and just if, if this is the way the world God intended, if this is the world that he built into the fabric of creation, if this world was dynamic, if it was going somewhere, if it involved little things like gold being in a certain place, if it involved little things like tending the garden, then perhaps the world that Jesus restores, the world that he brings to new life on Easter Sunday, is inviting us to see a world that is shaped much like the first one. Different, but much like it. What if you began to see your life not as segmented, not as different parts, different pieces, but what if you began to see it as an integral whole where God is wanting to meet you? Jesus says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And perhaps heaven comes not just when we gather on Sunday morning, not just when we're here in this space that seems holy and it seems like it stops the world for a moment. Perhaps the kingdom is coming in the midst of your everyday life. Dallas Willard, the great philosopher from USC, says, when Jesus directs us to pray, thy kingdom come, He does not mean we should pray for it to come into existence. Rather, we pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, and political order where it is now excluded, on earth as it is in heaven. With this prayer, we are invoking it as in faith we are acting it into the real world of our daily existence. Perhaps heaven coming is not some grand moment at the end of all of time. Perhaps heaven coming to you is Jesus himself coming into the midst of your daily life. Jesus talks about, and I think I want to look at three things that he sort of fills out at the end of this prayer as we gather here this morning. Jesus fills out three items in his prayer, the Lord's Prayer. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then I think he gives us a picture of what this looks like. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Now this is the most tangible element in this prayer, and it expresses in fullness God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Following the exodus from Egypt, when the children of Abraham are miraculously rescued from captivity by the power of God, God provides for the people in the wilderness. 
He is present amongst them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, and he gives them manna from heaven. Now, I've always determined that manna must be guacamole because it's good for a day, but if you try to keep that stuff for another day, what happens? Like, I've, I've become sort of a scientist at scraping off that top layer of brown so I can get to the green stuff beneath, but, you know, the guac doesn't keep. But God provides, and he says, look, I will provide for you. This will be there every single day. Jesus is saying the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven when people's needs are met. That this is what it looks like for heaven to come to earth. The prophet Isaiah paints a picture of this sort of world. Beginning in Isaiah 55, he says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The economics of the kingdom are not built upon scarcity or fear, but on abundance and gratitude. God's will is done when we trust him for our daily sustenance. And we live as citizens of God's coming world, of heaven, of his reign. When we say, God, we trust you. But not only when we trust him for ourselves, but when we trust him for others, for our neighbors, for our community, in the way that we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, in the way that we work for our neighbors to make sure that everybody has daily bread. So, Ecclesia, this is our fifth gathering. Like, things are going to change rapidly in this space. But we are becoming the people that God is calling us to be. And as we're shaped into that church that God wants us to be in this place, we have to take this very seriously. Lord, give us our daily bread, but not just ours, but our neighbor's daily bread. How can our church be a community that reflects this heart of God? How can we be a people shaped by Jesus' kingdom prayer saying, Lord, make it so. Make it so in us that wherever people are hungry for bread, whether it be bread because they need to eat to live, or whether it be because they're lonely and ashamed, wherever they long for something physical, Lord, would you make us that kind of people? The kingdom comes when we live as a community of daily bread. For the world around us, Jesus says. Jesus says next, he says, Forgive us, Father, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Now think of the last time that you wanted to be forgiven, but it wasn't happening. Have you messed up in a relationship? You hurt someone's feelings? You acted selfishly or carelessly? How would you describe that feeling? That moment when you realize that you have blown it, that it's not, it's not that it wasn't you or that it was a mistake when you give up all your excuses and your defenses and you simply come to the painful reality that you have done this, you have broken the relationship, and you long for repair. Now, in healthy relationships, there's a rhythm of this, right? Like, we, nobody's perfect and we mess up. And we, we, we hope and we put ourselves at the mercy of our loved ones and we say, will you forgive me? And Jesus prays. He says, when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, 
Forgiveness is a part of the reality of who we are. Now, there will come a day when there's no longer a need for forgiveness, when we don't need to say, I'm sorry, because we love each other with the perfect love that God gives to us. But right now, in the present, as we try to live into God's future, as we try to be a people shaped by the end of the story, by the hope that we have, one of the signs to the world that we are a people that are different is in the way that we forgive one another. In the way Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, in the way that we forgive our enemies, Jesus is saying the kingdom comes when we live differently. Think about the patterns that are going on in our world. Think about the, the political discussions where the right and the left lob grenades at each other and the other side is stupid and broken and cannot get anything right. This is the world that we live in and into that world we walk into it as the pardon of God. And we live differently. Jesus is saying, forgive as you have been forgiven. This is what it looks like for the kingdom to come in our lives. This is what it looks like to begin to break down the wall between the holy and that which is apparently not. And then Jesus' last words, his last prayer in Matthew chapter 6 He says, do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Whatever you think about, if there's an evil force in the world, whatever you're coming from today, that's okay. But Jesus is saying here, and we'll get more into these over the next couple weeks. Jesus is saying here that there is rescue. There is rescue coming There is rescue from this time of pain, of this time of brokenness. In the here and now, you can pray for God's strength to overcome and that God will meet you. Friends, where do you need rescue? God is not just saying that, hey, you know, when when it's all said and done, when at the end of your life, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fix it all. Perhaps with the way that heaven comes to earth, the way that Jesus meets us in this space, is that he comes into the very places where we are broken, the places where we are longing. He comes right into the midst of those spaces, and he begins to bring his rescue. So friends, where are you addicted? Where are you ashamed? Where are you longing for a new day? Jesus is saying, there is rescue. That the ways of the enemy, the ways of the curse, the ways of the brokenness of the world are shame, are endless cycles of, of brokenness and poverty. Jesus is saying there is rescue available for you. And as we've looked briefly at Jesus' petitions, as we're sort of trying to break down this wall, these three markers of what it looks like when God's will is done on earth as in heaven— as Christians, our, pe- our invitation, our life is to be a people of the coming reign of God. Our call is to live out God's future, the eternal future of our heavenly life with God right here in the present. And so lastly, as we are here this morning, I just want to show you a picture of what that future looks like because it is so beautiful. So at the end of the story, we started at the beginning, we started in Genesis chapter 2. And so now simply, I'm going to turn over to the end. In Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 3, John is seeing this vision of what is to come. He's seeing some visions of what is in the here and now. And he says, as he writes, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, 
See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. How beautiful are these words. How much do we long for all things to be made new? And church, Ecclesia, as we gather here this morning, this is what God is inviting us into. As he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. We start to drag that future that God has so gloriously promised for us into our present. We, we do it by bringing daily bread. We do it by being people of forgiveness. We do it by people who resist and are um, rescued by God to overcome the evil one. But he's saying there's coming a day where this hope will be reality, where God himself will wipe the tears away from our eyes. Friends, as people of the kingdom of God, as people who live out of this reality, we are to be people who live as if God's future is here, right here, right now. You know, I was walking with a friend of mine in Princeton. We were walking around just kind of talking. He's he's gone through some significant loss in his life. And he's, he's broken. He's trying to figure out what God is doing in the midst of all of, this, all of this pain that he's dealing with. And he asked me a question. He said, what do you think it's like? Heaven? And, you know, honestly, I've thought a lot about this. I spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about what, what the shape of our hope is. But in that moment, what I said was, you know, I bet it's not that much different from what we're looking at right now. Friends, what would it look like for God's eternal presence, his love, his perfect love to be infused into every part of our reality? What would it look like for us to be people who loved one another with the perfect love that God gives to each one of us? Well, that would be heaven. And maybe all of this stuff, all of this story that we have spent living out, these we build houses, we build cities, uh, maybe it's reflective of the God who puts us in a garden and says, explore. Maybe it's reflective of the God who says, this is the way that the world is. Come and play and be in relationship to me. And as I said that in that moment, I looked around. I was like, Lord, make it so. Make us people who bring your future into our present right now. And so how do we bring this hope? How do I, as a pastor, help you live out of this space? Friends, one thing I just want to encourage you as we're wrapping up here this morning is as you live your daily life, God is wanting to meet with you. God is wanting to bring heaven into your world right now. And so simply just acknowledging that, simply just opening your eyes, lifting up your head and saying, God, you're here. And as Paul says in Colossians 3, we do everything uh, for the glory of God, our Father. So what would your work look like? What would your time with your child look like? What would your play look like if heaven were coming to earth? I'll offer this perspective in closing, and then we'll move to the table. N.T. Wright says, What you do in the present 
by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind. They are a part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Friends, heaven is coming to earth. God has promised it himself. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.